Welcome to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast with your hosts, Jason Balin and Ian Horowitz. What's up? What's up? What's up? We are live. We are live. June 12th, a little bit earlier than normal on a Friday, beautiful Friday morning. What's going on, Ian? Nothing, man. I feel like uh, I almost forgot how to do this. Yeah, well, share away. Share away. We want to make sure we can get as many viewers and as many listeners as possible if you're listening to this on uh, or you're watching this on either YouTube or Facebook um, or LinkedIn. Uh, welcome. We have a really, really, really fun show today on a topic that uh, I, I like to talk about personally. I love talking about uh, capital and money and and real investments uh, in, in general. And if you're listening to this on our podcast, realestatereservepodcast.com uh, or on iTunes, welcome as well. It's uh, it's going to be a good topic and it's very relevant to, you know, to all, to all real estate investors. And uh, we're going to, we're going to hop into that a, a second. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome. We have a lot of fun on this show. Uh, you're free to, to ask any question that you would like. And, you know, we typically hop on for about 30 minutes or 45 minutes and, uh, you know, we chat and it's very open and happy to answer any questions that you have related to real estate investing and business and, and personal finance and money and marketing, things that we like to share and things that we preach and uh, we, well, we preach because we practice it every day in our businesses. So anything related to that, you can comment on this feed below. Uh, you'll be able to check. You'll be able to check out that. And if you have a potentially a question that you think would be good for the audience and you want to hop on live with us on the show, uh, we could potentially set that up for you as well, and we can share the link and you can hop on. So today's topic is the velocity of money, uh, specifically for real estate investors. And I think it's a fun topic and I think it's a very relevant topic and Ian uh, does as well. And it's stuff that Ian and I talk about, you know, my partner, Chris Haddon and I, and, and Ian and, and his partner, Dan, we talk about this stuff on a regular basis with a lot of our friends, our business partners, colleagues, uh, staff, employees, because I think it's relevant. And there's so much misconception related to personal finance and real estate. And people don't realize real estate is an investment vehicle and it's forgotten. And, you know, in general, we're all very lucky and we're fortunate that we picked real estate investing as our as our place of business and the businesses that we want to open because it's not just making money as real estate investors, but you're also uh, investing in assets, um, in investing in assets. And, and let me tell you, there's a very big misconception related to uh, money you make through real estate. And let me explain. So there's typically two types of income. There's fee-based income and there's investment income. And so many real estate investors or, or uh, real estate professionals get lost in the fee-based income over here. And they forget that they really need to be shifting their mindset and shifting their focus and shifting their money over to the investment uh, income side of things. And, you know, we'll, we'll go in, we're going to be going in depth on this and some good tips and habits, but keep in mind, real estate agents, unfortunately, fall into this trap a lot. Uh, flippers fall into this trap a lot and wholesalers fall in this trap a lot and maybe appraisers and title companies and things like that. And let me explain why, you know, you're working for your fees, right? Um, and you work hard for those fees and you deserve it, right? If, if someone wholesales a property makes a hundred grand, excellent, all power to it. The more you can make on those transactions, the better, but that's fee-based income, uh, right? You're getting taxed ordinary income or short-term capital gain 
right? You have a, it's a high tax bracket on it, and you're not really investing in an asset. <clears throat> you're buying a property to fix and flip. It's not really an asset that you're buying, right? It's just you're making a fee to do that, and hopefully it's a handsome fee. Same thing with real estate agents. So many real estate agents just sell properties and sell properties and sell properties and sell properties, but they're never investing in an asset. On the other side, you have the investment income of it, right? You have the investment income. So you buy a rental property, right? Rental properties aren't that sexy at the beginning. You make $300 a month in positive cash flow, right? You know, it's not typically life changing for $300, you know, a month. But guess what? You buy a few and you buy more and you buy more and your debt gets paid down and it adds up. So, same with private lending. You you lend out capital to someone, you get an interest rate return. Those are called passive investments, right? It might be a little bit of heavy lifting on the front end in order to originate that deal and bring that deal in the door, but then it turns into a passive investment. So yeah. let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit, Ian, because that's that that's a, a, you know important to expand upon. Yeah, I think you bring up a few valid points, right? Like we flipped a lot of houses when we first got started because everyone looks at it, it's like, oh, it's the sexy money, it's the sexy money, but you know, one of the things that we noticed is that there's no like direct future. There's, you know, there's a way to build yourself out, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's the same grind over and over again versus having, oh, excuse me, assets that are paying yourself over and over, over again from the same capital that you've already committed. Whereas flipping real estate or selling real estate or whatever, you, you know, a fee-based type thing that you're involved in, it's, it's a rinse and repeat over and over and over again. Um, one of the biggest wholesales we did, um, we smoked six figures on, we actually took that uh, income and rolled it into a seven unit apartment building that we still own today, right? So we very easily could have said, oh, we made whatever, a hundred grand for, you know, to say and say, okay, well, 25, you know, 50 is going to the business and we're splitting the difference. Like that doesn't make any sense versus taking that capital and reinvesting it and reinvesting it into yourselves. I think one of the most important things that me and you discussed, and it was something that you brought to my eyes, I don't know if you got it from somewhere else, is that no matter what you're doing, you need to look at yourself as the investor in the deal, right? It's very easy for me just to commit capital or take our own company money and just continually put it in over and over and over again and continue to buy assets um, as we're approaching the 76 unit building. We're literally leveraging everything we have, but you know, we also need to be diligent to say that capital is just the same as investor capital and it should be an investment vehicle for us and you should pay yourself on it. I think you did something pretty unique with your um, rental portfolio that I think some people should even consider consider about being your own bank um, and looking at that and looking how the velocity of your money, it's not just leveraging up assets to create velocity of money, it's creating passive investments that continually grow and grow and grow and reinvesting that capital. That's the velocity of, of money that like to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to dive into that and I'll tell people what we do kind of on our rental, on our rental portfolio um, to make sure that everyone who puts up capital into the deal is getting a, a return, even if it's owner equity, because it's got to be treated as private investor capital as well. And, you know, in general, you know, I hope this isn't the first time that someone's heard this, uh, what I'm about to say, but, but your money will always grow faster than your hard work. It's just that simple. Money grows so much quicker. You know, you know, learn about compound interest. Learn about how money grows in general in investment vehicles. But what we follow internally is uh, we try to double our money every five years with capital, and that capital can be a you know 
500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks, doesn't matter what it is, right? But in order to get into an into an investment, we try to double our money in, in every five years. And let me tell you a really quick way to, uh, to, to think about that when you're doing it, because typically it ends up being about a 14 and a half percent interest rate in order to double your money every five years. So it's called the rule of 72. I'm not sure if that's new to people or not, but for instance, you divide the interest rate into 72. Um, so for instance, what I do is I take 14.4 divided by 72 and that equals five. So every five years, um, my, my, the money doubles, or you can do it and you know, you can do it the opposite way. You can say, I want to double my, my money every two years. So two divided by 72 or whatever, and you know, ends up being 30, 36% interest rate return, whatever the case is. We think five is a uh, five year turn time is doable. So we do it. And I mean, let's do the math together. Like you would be so surprised what happens if you double your money, uh, you know, every five years, what happens to you 20 years from now, depending on, you know, how old you are. So let's say you have $100,000 to invest in deals, right? You take $100,000 um, in, uh, let's say, you know, let's say you're 20, let's say you're young, let's say you're 20 years old, right? You're 20 years old, you have a, you have a, for some reason, you have $100,000 and you're able to invest, right? So by the time you're 25, you have $200,000. By the time you're 30, you have $400,000. By the time you're 35, you have $800,000. And by the time you're 40, you have $1.6 million, right? From $100,000. And that's, and that, and again, that's not like actively doing stuff. That's pass, passively doing stuff. If you can get, get something done for a 14 point, around a 14.4% interest rate return. Now, again, it doesn't have to be that. You can be like, okay, well, I have an 8% investment vehicle. Then you do it off that, but the but the mindset is kind of understanding that you know if if you have whatever ten grand you want to start with you know don't use that ten thousand dollars to buy that used car or something right whatever that case is you know go buy that you know go buy that used car down the road multiplying it by ten of those exact same used cars because you can do that and uh, you know you you understand that and you kind of create these like games and cash flow games in your head, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's been hard recently um, <clears throat> is watching, I guess not calling the sales guys, but watching some other people that we know or just what you see on Facebook. It doesn't even have to be anyone you know, is how people are reacting around the coronavirus. Oh, zero percent interest on a car. I'm going to go buy one or interest rates are low. I'm going to go buy a, um, a shore house or a beach house or a vacation property, a lot of these things are going to come back and bite people in the ass. You know, think about it. Just like Jason said, that hundred thousand dollars that you tossed at a at a, a vacation home down payment, not only is it the hundred thousand dollars of capital, it's the two thousand dollars a month or a thousand dollars a month you're paying to service that debt on that place, right? So, with that being said, what what are you really losing? I mean, you're losing. $115,000 in year one that you could have doubled and that $1,000 every month that you can continue to reinvest it, it doubles every five years. Now your $1 million might be 2 million bucks in that same time frame because you're stacking cash. Um, and look, it's hard to do. Don't think, me, don't think by any means me and Jason have it figured out. We just happen to have investment vehicles that allow us to place capital a little more regularly than most people and a lot easier than most people. Well, that being said, I, sh I struggle with it personally. You know, sure, inside the business, we rock and roll. 
but personally there believe me there's times that i'm like oh dude i need that i i i need this thing you know what i mean rather than being like okay stay the course you, stay the course you know yeah but the mental mindset is you can get that thing but you got it you know if you have the mindset that you're going to get something for free from free money instead of hard work money it works right so like for instance let's say you want to buy something that's ten thousand dollars okay well let's in, you know invest that capital take the dividends from that return you know from that in, asset or take whatever from the re, from the returns you know put that automatically into a separate savings account and let that you know let that business or that asset pay for it it's that simple and and again it's it's, it's hard to do kind of at the beginning, but this is more a mental shift. And as soon as you do that, anytime I kind of think of it like, hey, you know, I want to, I want to get that or I want that. Like, how do I bucket a way to do it? Yeah. And you think like that, it it works. I mean, a lot of, I, I don't know, it's interesting. And, and let me tell you, if you haven't read Warren Buffett's Snowball book, take a look at that because Warren Buffett, if you look at, it's a lot about compound interest, and you know, it's about a, how he was a kid, he realized the power of, of uh, money growth and how everything he looked at, the reason he was stingy on stuff is the stuff that he would look at, he'd be like, you know, I don't want to spend a hundred, an extra hundred dollars on this because I know to, to him, he looked at it as like this extra hundred dollars is going to be worth $10,000 to me in the future because he, he could invest it. Um, I'm trying to pull up a graph here. Uh, oh, his net worth graph. It's the, it's, it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, share screen. Yeah, no, his net worth graph's crazy because everyone thought he's been so rich for so long. But you know, again, you double a hundred, ten thousand dollars is twenty thousand dollars. You dollar double a hundred thousand dollars is two hundred thousand dollars. But then you start doubling a million dollars. Here you go. Yeah, I mean, look at that. You know, when he was a young guy, and then he really didn't really see this. Sure, don't get me wrong, sixty-seven million bucks or of age forty-seven is pretty cool. But like, look at this over the the. the let me try to make this. Let me try to make this bigger. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I didn't pull up hey, directly. Hey, click on. Hey, hey, click. Wait, wait. You see those three buttons all the way to the right of your logo? Click on that. Three buttons, the right of my logo. Like you're logged into Google Chrome, How all the way to the right. Yeah, click on that, and then just click uh, the plus sign a few times. Plus sign. And then you'll you'll make that bigger. There you go. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, dude, it's wild. I mean, when I saw that, I was I was intrigued. I was I was intrigued about how the, about how that works. So let's go through a few tips related to investment vehicles in general and how to think of it like that. Because a lot of you know, flipping a house is not an investment vehicle. You're making fee based income and it's taxed at the highest tax rate. So you know, it's not it's not the best investment in, in general. Do you should you continue to flip houses to make income? Absolutely. Should you continue to sell houses to make income? Absolutely. Should you continue to wholesale houses to, to make income? Absolutely. But the difference is, is that's fee-based income. That's the money that you make as your job for the most part, right? That's your job to do that. And then you got to take that money and eventually move it over to the investment income column. And that's where a lot of people fail or just or they're just not running fast enough and not doing it enough. I think when Zach Bryant was on here. He talked about every five properties he sells, he's going to try to buy one. I think that was him who said that, but that's fine. You know, you take, you know, if you, if you ever listen to, um, you know, or, or read finance books or personal finance books or money books in general, you know, paying yourself first, you know, paying yourself first means you're investing in assets first. 
you know, typically it's asked backwards. Everyone says, cool, I'm, I'll pay myself or I will uh, invest whatever I have left over, which is the complete opposite of what it should be. For instance, you make 5,000, let's say make $5,000 a month net or whatever. And it's like, cool, I'm gonna pay 2,500 bucks to my mortgage, I'm gonna pay 500 bucks for my car, I'm gonna pay this to this, and I have this to this, $500 left over, I'm gonna go invest that. That's wrong, it should be the opposite, right? If I make $5,000 a month and I determine whatever my goal is of where I wanna, you know, what, what my next asset is that I'm going to purchase, right? It, maybe it's a thousand bucks, so I'm gonna do a thousand bucks first, I'm gonna pay that, and then the rest goes to household expenses and and fun and 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 things like that. And actually, a really good book. Um, I'll put that out there. Is a, a book that I enjoyed was the Banker's Code by George Anton. Um, yep. It's a really good book. It just talks about setting up your own banking system. You know, like everybody goes out and leverages the bank, but think about it. If you, it's the same, th it's the same principle. If you could borrow money from yourself and pay yourself that same interest rate. Why wouldn't you replace the money that you're using? Again, it's about velocity of money. So however you look at it, whether it's an investment vehicle, it's living debt free. Um, it's borrowing money from yourself. You know, you're having the wherewithal to reinvest this money over and over and over again. And ultimately, for everybody that says, you know, we have a really close friend of ours. He talks about leaving his job. And I'm like, hey, man, like you really think you leave your job? But he's slowly but surely adding assets one at a time. And over the past few years, um, he brought us some apartment building out in West Virginia. You know, I think he's getting really, really close. Um, hopefully he's enjoying his golf weekend this weekend, Pete, wherever the heck you are. Um, but anyway, you know, the fact that the simple fact that, you know, he's slowly but surely adding assets one at a time, then found a home run deal. Right. And then he's still slowly but surely adding one deal at a time. Next thing you know, in 10 years, boom, he's gone. I got a really cool story. So my in-laws for those of you that don't know, they sell and service power equipment um, like for landscapers up in uh, just outside of Philadelphia. And um, how I got started in real estate is that there was a guy that would always come in. He would buy a new mower every year. They buy a new mower every year. And one year he wasn't there. He said, hey, man, what happened to you? Well, I was buying one house at a time for the past 30 years. And he's like, why am I doing this anymore? I can just retire. I have these 30 houses. They're all paid for in cash. I don't need to work anymore. I sold my landscaping company. I'm not working that hard. And I got these 30 houses to support my lifestyle, you know? So that's pretty cool just to see how, like, even if it's just making one small purchase a year or buying that one stock or one real estate asset, whatever it may be, and taking the time and making a conscious effort to do that, it pays off in the long run. Um, not that I want to keep yapping here, but like, there's a lot of guys in the fire department that, um we have an option to put money away in a retirement program and i can't believe how many guys don't put any money in there and they're all like oh we're just gonna live off the pension no dude like if you just simply put in 25 dollars to pay in on your very first pay and slowly but surely increasing that over time you should leave the fire department a millionaire like dan preaches it all the time you know just those simple things and taking those conscience effort you know conscious efforts to make a little difference in your lifestyle will pay off massive dividends over the long term. Yeah. And I mean, we're all fortunate that we're in real estate investing. Real estate investing is the easiest, is the easiest because, you know, in general, the majority of the projects that we buy are assets. If you do it the right, if you do it the right way, again, if you're just tuning in, you know, wholesaling fee based, selling real estate as an agent's fee based, uh, flipping a house is fee based, but there's so many other 
ways, you know, long-term holds, lending money, whatever the case is, it makes sense. So I'll tell you kind of what we do inside our rental portfolio or anytime, you know, anything in general. So typically like we'll get bank leverage, um, we'll put up some of our own capital and then we'll have, you know, sometimes private investor capital as well on some of these deals. And every dollar is accounted, is accounted, right? Like our money's not just treated as equity. Our, our money is, is treated for, um, you know, treated just like everybody else's. So for instance, let's say, let's say the bank debt is worth, you know, 5%, the private capital's 10%, um, you know, private capital is 10%. And then like, we want 12% on our money. Well, all that stuff's taken in consideration, right? Like if we're dispersing funds, everything's got to get dispersed kind of accordingly. And it's a fair way to do it. If you have a business partner, um, as well, because, you know, for instance, let's say, you know, you own a company 50, 50, and you put up 40 grand, your business partner puts up 20 grand. Well, your 40 grand should be getting a return on that. Um, as well, like every, everyone should be getting a return, every capital, all the capital that's put into a deal should get a return. When we do joint ventures with, uh, either if we're the lender or if someone else's, you know, puts up some of the capital, there's always a preferred return for that capital that comes in. Right. And then everything's split afterwards. So, and I know a lot of people don't think about it like that, but that's where it is. Like you, like, yeah. like, uh, Ian, Ian said, and I, and I met George at an Infusionsoft conference years ago. Um, and his book's been out for a long time. And he, I think he might actually have another book, but he does private lending in California. So we have a lot of stuff in, in common. And, you know, I've talked to him about stuff and I agree, like, it's kind of a simple principle, but like, that's the case. Like if you're putting up capital somewhere, you need to take, um, uh, what's the term? Like you, like you need to take that seriously as, as you real capital. Like yeah. you need about, you need, you need to value capital. And this is the one thing I see all the time. It's the dumbest thing in the world. So I, I know a lot of real estate investors that buy houses for cash, right? They buy houses for cash and uh, then they get their return, right? And they look at the return and it's like, oh, cool. You know, we got a so-and-so return and it's like, you got a so-and-so return, but you know, you did, but that's because you bought it in cash. And you didn't value your own capital that you put in there. You know, you buy, you buy a property, you know, and you're all in at a hundred grand. Let's say you buy it for cash and you sell it and you make 10,000 bucks. It's like, cool. I made a, you know, a 10, a 10% return. And then, it's like, yeah, but that's an active investment, right. um, you know, in general. And, and you know, they, yeah, exactly. They don't even, they don't realize, they, they forgot to value their their time or their money as well. You're valuing your time and you're valuing your money. So in general, think about it like this, you know, there's active, there's active investments and there's passive investments. If you literally just invest money into something and it's completely passive and someone else is operating it and doing everything, you're just investing the capital, you know, and you get whatever, 5%, 6%, 8%, 10%, maybe it's like, that's a good return, right? Uh, in general for passive. But if you're the active investor, you know, you should be getting the teens or the 20s or the 30, or maybe even like an infinite return on some on some of those deals. You know, if you're putting up, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, and, and and this is stuff that's really, and I've, and I've been finishing up uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrant book, and I haven't really followed that much stuff from Robert Kiyosaki. And I mean, I, I understand his principles and I don't disagree with them. And, you know, obviously I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad years ago uh, when, you know, I just got into being an entrepreneur and a business owner and a real estate investor, you know, 18 years ago, whatever that case is. But, and, and I get it, but, you know, it, it popped up and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at some of his principles because it's newer stuff in it. And, you know, it kind of reiterated a lot of things that we've been doing inside our business and a lot of things that I know that friends of ours and business acquaintances of ours aren't doing 
which is simple. And, you know, invest, investing in those assets. And I mean, listen, you, you're a flipper, you buy five properties a year and you flip all five of them and you make 150 grand, right? Good. But where, where's the money that you kept? Where's the money that you saved? Where's the money that you reinvested? That's, that's the, and that's the thing that doesn't happen. I think we should challenge everybody that's watching or that's going to listen to this is make a challenge. And I'm not trying to stab people. I apologize. It just happened to be next to me. Um, but I say we challenge everybody that on the next real estate deal that they value their capital. It doesn't matter if you're buying it completely in cash and paying yourself. Uh, let's, let's just be, let's be, let's be easy on the first one. I challenge you to pay yourself 8% on your capital before you go and pay yourself any profits and see what your returns look like overall. Um, I don't care if you're buying the whole thing in cash or if you can get the whole thing completely financed and you only got to put up $5,000. Pay yourself 8% on that capital, separate it, put it in a different bank account and watch that money grow. Next thing you know, you're gonna have more and more cash. And then think about it, if you're paying yourself 8%, but you're going to your friends and family or hard money lenders or whoever, and paying anywhere from 12 to 14% or whatever it may be, think about the cost savings that you just made for yourself just by doing that simple little step. So we challenge everybody. If anybody has questions on how to do it, feel free to reach out to me, Ian at Equity Warehouse or Jason at hardmoneybankers.com. Um, We'd be happy to help show you how to set it up. But again, any dollar that you put in there, value it at 8% and put that money in a separate account and watch what happens. That's my challenge. Yeah, it works. And I mean, everyone knows from experience who's invested in assets before any asset, you know, they grow. They grow They grow over time, You know, especially cash flow assets. I mean, listen, you got to buy one rental property and then you just keep buying and buying and buying and buying and buying and, and more. And, you know, having, you know, one of the things when I think Chris and I were, wrote that's our first book the whiteboard um one of our topics or one of our chapters was called the snowball will save you which it does right because you know every year you buy a new rental then ever then you buy another rental and then another rental or you invest in a note or you do this and then all of a sudden you know that outperforms every everything and then for something let's say there's like a catastrophe or a disaster kind of in your life and you lose your job well all of a sudden now you have this type of income to uh uh, to, to rely on. I, I remember one thing, and I'm not going to mention who stated this, but I remember, you know, an, an entrepreneur uh, friend of ours, his mom once gave him a, a hard time shortly after he started his business. And she said, she was like, that's way too risky um, to start your own business or to buy a piece of real estate. Everybody's like, well, what do you mean? Well, that's way too risky. You need a stable job. You need this. And he looked at his mom straight in her face and said, you know what, mom? Uh, your job's way too risky. You don't control that. You have one source of income. You lose that job and you're out. I am going to, I'm going to create my own business and then I'm going to buy assets and I'm potentially create other businesses and multiple income streams. And I'm not going to rely on somebody else to do that. So, and he's right. And like, he didn't say it in a mean way or anything. It wasn't bad. And again, part of it was generational. Um, but it's, that's what it is. Um, but uh, and let me tell you another quick story about, um, well, two two quick stories that, and I and I have a lot of these stories because you know our lending business is an investment vehicle, right? And you know we have a lot of high net worth individuals who lend money, you know, through us. So I, you know, I I hear kind of where they came from and stuff like that, and you know how obviously it didn't happen overnight. But the first story is I remember year we were maybe like 
a few years into business and uh, we were a few years into business and we were prepping our 1099s for our private capital investors. And one of our investors had about 2 million bucks deployed with us, um, you know, in, in deals. And I remember Chris and I looking at his 1099 and it was, you know, let's just say in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we're like, what the crap? He was like, this dude made a few hundred thousand dollars passively. Didn't know what deals he was in. Didn't care what deals he was in. He invested two million bucks. Two million bucks is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Um, but like, you know, that just spit out a few hundred thousand dollars a year in passive income to have zero involvement in anything. And I'm like, being the lender is and being you know the capital source and using your own money is so important, right? So that that's that's the first one. The second story I think is actually even better. So. Uh, years ago, uh, we, we had built this relationship with these two older gentlemen that were government workers. Um, and they both worked for the government forever and they had recently retired and they put in their tenure at the government and they were, you know, and they, and they were smart, you know, successful people, but you know, there was obviously a cap of what they can make. So let's just say, you know, hundred grand or in the low hundreds or whatever that case is, right? Like there was obviously a cap. Well, they were, um, uh, you know, they were savvy people. So, you know, Every year they would save money, they would invest in a, in a business, they would invest in a rental property, they'd buy an apartment building, they invest in a, a note, whatever. And it wasn't a ton of money, but it didn't need to be, right? Because you start small and it works your way and it works its way up. So, you know, at this point they had just retired from the government and these guys each had a net worth, you know, well over 10 mil each, well over 10 mil, I don't exactly know what. And they invested and, and, and they're only making, you know, whatever, their normal salary. And in general, they were like, you know, that was the game that we played. You know, we used we used our income that we had in our normal business or our normal job um, at the government. We work hard from nine to five. And then, you know, on weekends and nights and stuff like that, we play the cash flow game and we and we figure out where to invest stuff and we invest this and we and we're in this business and they own everything. They literally owned so much stuff talking to them. They had so much cat they had so much capital. They did a deal with us. It was like a one point three million dollar loan that they were involved in. Um, they would, you know, they would lend their own capital to, to other people. Um, they own apartment buildings there and that's what it was. And, and that's kind of early on, that's kind of when I kind of learned that it doesn't matter what business you're in. And a lot of people shouldn't quit their day, day jobs, especially if they enjoy them in general. Um, you know, use that as kind of your backbone and your, you know, facilitator or capital to bring it in. And then utilize that to invest in other things. I mean, so many people I talk to, real estate investors that are flipping houses, says, "Yeah, you know, uh, I'm almost there. I'm almost ready to quit my job." And it's like, you don't need to quit your job if you want to. You can do that, but you've kind of got to start over again and build that up again. It's you know, if you enjoy it and you like it, stick stick to it. Um, I I I remember one of the things in his Robert Kiyosaki book. He was talking about how his his sister, you know, that he was super proud of, was a nun and she enjoyed it and she didn't get paid for it. But, you know, she, she did that because she, it was her hobby and, and she was passionate about it and she enjoyed it. And she had other investment vehicles that were paying all of her household bills and everything else. She didn't have to worry about money. So it made it made a lot of sense. Yeah, man. And again, I, I challenge everybody, even if it's a even if you're not doing real estate, is to try to find a few grand or a few hundred bucks and find a place to invest it. There's, there's plenty of places out there, whether it's in real estate whether it's in, uh, you know, like lendingclub.com, something along those lines and find a way to slowly but surely invest it. Think about it. You get $5,000 in at 10%. Uh, 
that's most people's car payments nowadays. Um, and that's what I'll leave everyone with is challenge you to find how you can value your money and increase your net worth every single day. Um, you have any questions you want to discuss this further, you want to come on here, discuss it, reach out to me, Ian at equitywarehouse.com and uh, Jason at hardmoneybankers.com. You got anything else, Jay? Uh, no. I mean, I can go on and on with this topic because I, it's something I, that, I do, that, I, that I just think about, uh, all, you know, pretty, pretty regularly. I and, uh, and, and, I, and, it's, and I think it's important for people to think about it like this because it's, uh, you know, it's a mental mind shift. And, you know, it was, you know, even though a lot of this stuff in this Robert Kiyosaki book that I'm finishing up now, you know, is stuff that, you know, we all know it's just, it's good to get reiterated. And he's so, he's so right about the mental side of it. It's like, oh yeah, I'll just, you know, he talks, he talks about how your primary residence isn't an asset, how, you know, everyone's just constantly in debt. And, you know, some of the stuff I agree with, but uh, some of the stuff I don't agree with, but a lot of the stuff I do agree with, and it's true. And it's like, it's all mental. It's, it's like, you gotta, like, you gotta be disciplined in order to, you gotta be disciplined to do that. It's, you know, hey, I'll just take this extra thousand bucks instead of investing it right now. Um, you know, a thousand bucks isn't gonna do much for me. It's only gonna spit me out, you know, 15 bucks extra a month or what, 10 bucks, whatever it is. And it's like, who cares? It's something and it grows and grows and grows and grows and it grows. So um, I would say, you know, action items, like you said, Ian, is that challenge is good. Pick up the snowball book um, and just start reading personal finance books. If you, and they clearly, you know, they. They clearly work. They clearly work. I mean, it's good. We're all in real estate investing. We all have an upper hand compared to other people because we understand real estate investing. So just make sure you understand the investment side of it and not necessarily the fee-based side of it. hundred percent. Well, uh, we'll catch you guys next week. We should be back to having some interviews and um, we'll see you guys next week. Luckily, I have an appointment at 1130. Otherwise, Jason would continue to talk for hours about this topic, which is a good thing. But we'll see you guys next week. Um, I believe Sean Magner is going to jump on here. We're going to discuss how he uh, has been growing his business and uh, go from there. All right. Later on. See you guys next week. Thanks for tuning into the Real Estate Reserve podcast. Do us a favor and like, comment, and share our broadcast. It helps the algorithm and helps us spread the word too. Till next time, thank you for tuning in.